Thank you. Good morning, everybody. It's a privilege for me and my family to be with you today. I've heard about Crescent Church over the years from Tim and Susie, and it's a pleasure to see you with my own eyes and be invited to speak to you from God's Word. I bring greetings from my own church, St. Paul's Harringay in London, and I've been here uh, since Thursday, and I can only assume that the Northern Irish weather is always as good as this the whole year round. I see, I see you nodding. I'll take your word for it. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I pray your help. I know we've prayed already, but pray, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate your word for us. Would you change us, we pray. We, we want to live for Christ today. We want to see your word today. We want a spirit that trembles and is contrite in your word today. So would you help us, we pray. Naturally hard-hearted, Father, but today we have an opportunity to listen. And make it so, we ask, in the powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, is our scripture that I want to take with you. I have page 979 in the Pew Bible. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is a McDonald's TV advert that aired in England in the last few years. I don't know, forgive me, I don't know if they air the same adverts in Northern Ireland, but maybe you've seen it. It, uh, it had a young lad and an older man, and they lived on the same housing estate in the same block of flats, and they had no reason really to relate to one another. And so you see the young lad going about his business, kicking a ball and hanging out with his mates, and you see the older man going about his business and going for walks and getting back to his flat. But um, they had no reason to talk to one another, even though they lived in the same block, until they went to McDonald's. <laughs> and then, over a milkshake and a burger, they spotted one another across the room, and, and you could sort of dwell on the moment where they thought, oh, I recognize you, you're the guy from the block of flats. And the climax of the whole McDonald's advert is when they sort of share a a nod, <laughs> and a little, a little half-smile, and uh, there, it puts its finger on, you see, what they were doing is, I think they were putting their finger on this need for the generations to relate to one another. We kind of need that, that young lad and the older man to know one another and not be hostile and um, at odds with one another, and presumably, therefore, the answer is they all go and buy fast food together. You see, it didn't actually get very far in how, how do the generations relate. I don't think the answer is to go and buy a McDonald's together. It certainly made me hungry, but it didn't think, make me think this is the answer. But it did highlight the need for the generations to relate to one another. I come from, at the moment from a troubled part of London. It's the borough of Haringey. It's in the north of London. I learned recently it's the most economically polarized borough in the whole of England. 
And in Haringa, I mean, if, if you could get the generations to relate to one another, if, I mean, if the older generation could relate to the younger, if, if those who have been economically successful in Hampstead could be, if they could relate to those who are the downtrodden youths who haven't been given a shot in Tottenham, then we would be going somewhere. Then we, we might have a, the answer to a few social problems. And that's not even considering the gospel. You know, if we could relate the older generation who know and love Christ to the younger generation who don't yet know him, that's dynamite. But the generations don't relate naturally to one another where I come from. I've been in Harringay five years, and a team of us, we worked hard. We recognized there were absolutely no teenagers in our church, so we worked and worked to try to start something. We've got four young people into church, and last week I had the joy of baptizing two of them. I mean, amazing, amazing, hallelujah, it was fantastic. But that's five years' work, <laughs> hard graft. I tuned into your service last week and uh, heard David Farrell preaching the first sermon in this series. And if you were here, he talked about a, a triangle. And he talked about the, the magnets that kids sometimes have. So something like this, I believe. And um, if you get, put these triangle magnets together, they, they can make a big shape, right? And they, they fit together and you can make a strong shape. Sadly, sometimes the shapes don't always work together or the shape isn't unified. But the principle is, if you were, if you were here, you have a, a father and a mother in a family, and then you have a younger generation, you have the, the next generation or the child. Make sense? And so this is what I want to talk to you about today. How then do the generations relate? If you like, I want to talk to you about the, the more vertical upward sides of the triangle. How do you relate father and mother to the next generation? And I've realized as I open the scriptures to prepare, there is a beautiful, simple, two-way dynamic to deal with these two sides of the triangle. It goes like this. I see it in Ephesians 6, and I'll show you in a moment. The older generation trains the younger. The younger generation honors the older. I see that reflected in Ephesians 6, our passage today. I see it in other places. I mean, I thought about preaching to you 1 Timothy chapter 5, where I see the same verbs used. I thought about Titus 2, which talks about training and the way they relate. So I, I, I lighted on Ephesians 6 in the end, but I see this in the New Testament. The older generation trains the younger. The younger generation honors the older. You'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm not going to touch the top side of the triangle. That would be a sermon about marriage between a, a husband and a wife. I'm just not going to go there, but I understand you have more, more plans and more, more dreams for um, these sorts of things, so we'll, we'll leave that for today. But today I want to talk to you about the older generation relating to the younger. Note that this isn't just biological family. I mean, some people's parents just aren't around anymore. Others have relationships that are broken down, so the sides of the triangle aren't intact. But the Bible still uses the same words to talk about intergenerational, intergenerational relationships without the biological family. And it wants to talk about training others who aren't, don't actually fit into your household unit. So you can get excited about that too. So if, if you would like to have all the wisdom and training of the previous generations, I mean, don't you think that'd be amazing to learn from what previous generations have learned? We're not the first generations to have tackled things under the sun. I mean, even in this room, so much wisdom and experience that could be learned from by the younger generation. Or, if you would like to live in a society where we don't automatically write off people as they get older and a bit weaker 
and actually we think you, you have been around. God has given you wisdom and experience, and we honor you. If, you. if you're interested in that dynamic, then let's turn our eyes back to Ephesians chapter 6. I'll just try and draw out for you these two things that I showed you on the triangle. Firstly, the younger generation honors the older, verses 1 to 3. And secondly, the older generation trains the younger, verse 4. So firstly, the younger generation honors the older. If you know the New Testament, you may know that often at the end of the letters and epistles, you get a a kind of household section where the apostles would turn and they would address different categories of people in turn. So they might address servants and masters, husbands and wives, children and parents. It's worth knowing that this was often countercultural. So today we consider the bit when he turns to the children. And for the children to be addressed by an apostle appointed by God, it gave them a great dignity. I can almost imagine them sitting in the church as, the, as it was read out and nudging each other, saying, he's talking to us. The apostle Paul, this is for us. These verses are for us. And so too, it, it was countercultural for the, the apostle to address the women or the servants. It planted an acorn of dignity and equality in the church of God, which would grow into a great oak tree. And so here in these verses, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. See, he talks about a command. It's it's a command. It it is one of the ten commandments. And he says it's the first commandment with a promise, because if you read through the ten commandments, that's the first one where Moses went into detail and said, let me give you a promise to attach to this. J.C. Ryle, who was a church planter and a teacher in England 100 years ago, he wrote a book called The Duties of Parents. And his big thing is really, the kids need to learn to obey the parents. Quote, we need to teach children to obey while they're young, or else they will be pulling against God for the rest of their lives and wear themselves out with the vain idea that they are independent of his control. Now, J.C. Wright, he was, like a, he was a strict Victorian man who was used to being in charge. Okay, so he, you kind of expect it from him to teach the children to obey. That was, that was kind of what you might expect. But he was a faithful Christian. You knew his Bible. And I get the same thing from here. He's right, isn't he? The, the apostle Paul, if he, could, if he could say one thing to the next generation, which he does in Ephesians, he would say, children, I want to just tell you, obey your parents. I find it striking how different this is to the spirit of our age. I think if I didn't belong to Christ, my instinct would be to love my parents and grandparents, yes, but generally to see my own generation as the forward-looking one. You you know that? Like, uh, but we are the generation, whichever generation is youngest, we are the generation that has the progress and the advancement. We have arrived at our own views for ourselves, and we've got things a bit more sorted out than our parents and grandparents. Anything else in the past is viewed as colonial or patriarchal or power-based. But what what the apostles do, what Christianity does, it allows you to look back at any leader, including those in the past, and critique them. Christianity is continually throwing shade or suspicion upon any human being apart from Christ. Every human in the Bible, every leader is, is flawed in some way. But it also has this simple command, this beautifully simple, refreshing command. The younger generation needs to obey their parents. 
In fact, it does it here right in front of our eyes. And it, but forgive me, where I'm from in my church, we, I'd ask for a little bit of audience interaction, so I genuinely need some of your help right now. Would, would one of you be willing to shout out for me the main instruction, the verb in verse 1? Obey, yeah, I didn't hear who it was, but obey. You see it, children? Obey your parents. But now, somebody else, the main instructional verb in verse 2. Honor. You see this? They are very similar, but not the same. Obey, honor. He can tie them together into the same paragraph and make a similar point, but they're not the same because they're different commands. I believe that's because it changes with age. He can say in verse 1, children, when you're a child, obey your parents. But as you go on in life and you get older, the standing commandment in the Ten Commandments is honor your parents. You see the difference? So for someone who's a minor, a child, the the command is simply to obey. For the rest of us, as we go through life, the the abiding command is to honor. So when you're five, you just do what your parent says, right? When you're a teenager, that's a longer leash. You have a a bit more independence, but you still need to do what they say. When you're in your 20s, you may have moved out. You may have more independence, but you probably it's still predominantly your parents giving advice, supporting you emotionally, perhaps financially. Get towards your 30s and 40s, I guess that's often a more two-way, mutual street. And as your parents get older, that, that's inverted often, isn't it? I mean, that, that I'm, I'm giving more than I'm receiving from mum and dad at that point, if they're still around. Everybody's story is different, but you see what I mean? Obey your parents is for the little children. Honor your parents is for life. We'll come back to this at the end where I want to give you some more practical examples. But that, let me leave our first thing with you there. See, that's the, that's the in principle, I believe. The younger generation honors the older. Verses one to three. Let's look at the, the other flow in the diagram, the one that goes down from the, um, in the triangle from the top to the bottom. Secondly then, the older generation trains the younger. I see this in verse 4. And we are turning to parenting at this point. I tremble to talk to you about parenting. I'm a father of four children. To be honest with you, some some nights I've got through bedtime just alive. And uh, I've gone gone and wept in my own bedroom. This is so hard. I just, I I feel like I'm failing. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's, uh, it's really difficult. So... I don't want you to think I've come over here with all the answers. In fact, my wife, Sarah, listens to a a podcast called Risen Motherhood, and it always begins with the same introduction with an American voice, and and the mother says, motherhood is hard. That really lodges in my heart, because I say, yes, it is. Or I I can broaden it out. Parenting is hard. I I was in Sainsbury's recently trying to buy a card for someone who'd had a baby in our church, and uh, my eye came to rest on one which said, Welcome to parenting. It's a walk in the park. Jurassic Park. (laughs) And I thought, yes, I think I'll get that one. (laughs) That feels realistic to me. But here again, it is wonderful to be a Christian. I find this very refreshing. I find it simple. I can remember this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers or parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
Notice I, I'm happy to insert the word parents next to the word fathers. It says fathers. The Greek word is fathers, pateres. That's, the, that's where we get our word paternal, paternity. It's a, it's a masculine word. They choose a masculine word for two good reasons. Firstly is that they defaulted to the masculine case grammatically in Greek, so the natural way to, way to write to parents is pateres, fathers. Also because the father is the head of the household, biblically, so that when they want to address parents, they naturally go fathers. However, elsewhere in the Bible, I was struck to realize that when they want to talk to parents, they, they use the same word, uh, pateres, fathers. So Hebrews chapter 11, they're retelling the story of Moses. Remember the story of Moses, if you know the Bible? The, it says, uh, Moses' pateres, his parents, hid him in a basket and put him in the river. And if you know Exodus, it, that was mainly his mum. You know, mostly mum putting him in a basket, hiding him in the river. But the, the, the writer to the Hebrews is happy to say, now his parents put him in a basket in the river. So all of that is to say, I'm happy to read this, not just to the, the male parent, but to both parents. And this verse, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, contains what I've come to see as the key to so much ministry, so much parenting. I know it begins with a negative, do not provoke your children to anger, but let me, I want to try and major on the positive. It says, bring up the next generation in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You could translate it as rear them or train them, as the NIV has it. Train others. Of course, training in, in, in any walk of life, that's the way to get things done, right? You, if, you, if you can train somebody else, then you multiply yourself. You can, you can do more. And so in, in business, in church, in family, the, the idea is if you can multiply yourself out, then it doesn't all depend on how many hours you've got in the day. When I realized this a few years ago, I wrote on the notice board in my study at home, the values that I wanted to try and operate in my family and in our church if I could. I, I, I could boil it down to four main things. I want us to love Jesus. I want to love people. I want to love Haringey. And I want to train successors so that I can go, I could, I could die. I can go and be with Christ. I can move and, and there'll be more people to do those things. And train the next generation. Train your successors seems to be as simple as I can get it. Of course, that's church life, and that's the way it happens. The, the smallest unit, if you can replicate the triangle somehow, then you, you're off. Can I go out on a limb a little and, and suggest to you that I think this is the hardest, the hardest direction on the triangle that we're considering? I know, I know it's hard. Okay, the other way is hard. It's hard to obey your parents. It's difficult to do what the, what the older generation tell, especially if you have to mm, bite your fist because you think they're wrong. Mm, I don't want to obey. However, it's also kind of good being a kid, isn't it? It's, it's quite nostalgic, halcyon days. To be a child with a good parent around and just do what they say. I mean, oh, give me that life again. Whereas, I think it takes more proactivity to actively train somebody else. You have to really summon up the energy and the determination to do it and do it and keep doing it. In an age where leaders regularly get called out or torn down, where we can be accused of bullying or cancelled, it's much easier, oh, okay, I'll just hold back. I'm just going to let the younger generation make their own mistakes, do their thing, 
and work it out for themselves. Except, I think, once you, once you know God, once you've got a handle on the gospel, I don't think that works anymore because the gospel has to be passed down from one generation to the next to the next. We have to engage. Of course, if Moses had let Israel be themselves, they'd still be dancing around a fire worshipping a golden calf. You know? It required somebody to come in and say, stop that! And if no one had ever trained us, you know, if no one had ever showed you Christ in the scriptures, would you be here today? I wouldn't be. Verse 4 comes with a condition. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. So the apostle is saying the older generation is not to be so unbending and rigid that they get annoyed. You know, they're just brittle. So for me, I'm desperately trying to hit the sweet spot with my children. I really want to train them, but I'm trying not to provoke them to anger and frustration. I realize one, one moment this, this comes out every day is I'd love to read the scriptures with them every day. I don't want them to loathe that time. I want them to enjoy it. So I try and walk into the room with a smile on my face. I try and be pleased to be there myself rather than assuming it's going to be a chore. I try and offer them a cuddle to listen to what's on their mind and to be prepared occasionally to throw the routine out of the window because something else is going on in life. But habitually, I want to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I also want them to grow up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which means that's that's where my whole heart is. I just want want scriptures to be a regular part of our family time together. Also prayer, also church. So I'm, I'm saying to you on the second point, the older generation trains the younger. Can I just tell you the great news about this? It, it struck me as I was preparing to speak to you. If, if you can do that, and, and every time you do it, you dramatize the gospel. It seems to me that um, the gospel is here on the, on the horizontal plane, it, like Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, it talks about a, a great bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who comes and he loves this bride who's called the church, and that's his wife, and he comes and he lays down his life. He sacrifices himself for her. He cleanses her by washing with water through the word. He pays for all her sin, and he rises again so they can be together forever. I mean, that, there you go. That's, it says it just a few verses before in Ephesians chapter 5. But it also seems to me that, would you agree? You also dramatize the gospel when you live out these two sides. It doesn't say that. But it seems to me strange and curious and wonderful thing that immediately after Paul has given this gospel illustration, Ephesians chapter 5, famous, Christ and the church, he immediately goes on to give something else which I think fits just as well. Because is not another way of phrasing the story of salvation. I have a heavenly father. He loves me. He, he cares for me. He, he calls forth my obedience as I live out life on earth. And my whole life up until I knew Christ was one of disobedience and not honoring and not obeying him. But when I came to know Jesus, he called me back into relationship with him. And now my heart's desire is to honor, obey, and live out my life for him. So if we can get this right, then a marriage is for living out the gospel and dramatizing it. But so too is the intergenerational relationships. I find that breathtaking and beautiful.
Can I get practical with you just before we finish? Jesus' invitation to us today is twofold, I believe. We've been talking about these two directions. So there's an invitation to children and there's an invitation to parents. Firstly then, if, if you're a child of anybody, will you honor your parents? What does that mean? I have here, thank you, um, I have here on the screen. Has that been up there all along or has that just appeared? Just appeared, okay, that's, that's exactly what I wanted. Very good. Uh, I went through the scriptures and I've tried to pull out, ev- every time it said honor, I, I dwelt on it and I pulled it out. I said, what does that mean? So here I've tried to summarize in a word cloud what's going on. It's not much good if I stand in the way. And I, I think it means all of these things in the scriptures, but I haven't got time for all of them. I'm gonna try and pull out four. Um, if you move from the left of the screen towards the right of the screen, from obedience to lawful commands and advice on the left, then you're in childhood era. And if you move towards the right, I've tried to arrange it so you're in more grown-up era of relating to parents, so you're in towards loving them, giving whatever you owe, perhaps giving wealth to them. So let me pull out a few examples. Firstly, imitate them, top left. If you just imitate the good in your parents, it's a beautiful way of honoring them. For instance, my my mum was incredible with elderly people. She's always had a heart for elderly people. So if I simply copy that trait in her, it honors her. If anybody asks, why do you do that for elderly people? I have the chance to say, that's my mum. I I learned that from my mum. She's amazing. Honor. Do your parents have a strong suit that you can imitate and honor them with? Consult them, moving across to the right. You may not always want to know your parents' advice, but if you're able to consult them, or if you're able to mentally consult them, what would mum or dad have done at this point? You show them honor. Maybe you're facing a big decision soon. If your parents are available to ask them advice, that, that is a wonderful, simple thing to do. Many cultures in the world would make that their first port of call. Thank them in the middle there. I have to take funerals where I come from, and um, it seems to me some people only leave it till the funeral of the older generation to actually say anything nice about them. (laughs) But we can just simply thank people for the good in them. Thank them on their birthdays, their anniversaries. Thank them on social media, if you use that. Thank them when you get to make a speech at a wedding or a party. If they've died already, then thank God for the good in them. Do you have an opportunity coming up where you could simply thank the older generation. And then I've put give whatever you owe on the right-hand side. 1 Timothy 5 says, let them first show their godliness to their own household and make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. It does seem fair, doesn't it, that the parents who looked after us when we couldn't walk, when we couldn't use the toilet, when we couldn't eat without dribbling, they will often be the people that we look after when they're facing the same challenges. Is there something that you owe your parents in this next stage of life, whether financial or practical? It's a way of honoring them. Give them whatever they owe, whatever you owe. Thank you, we can have that off now. And practically, let's just flip it around. If you are a parent or you're part of an older generation, Will you train the younger generation? 
I'll give you a few examples. I would love to hear your own examples. Firstly, if you're a biological parent, what place does the Bible have in your home? Do both mum and dad read it to the children if you're a two-parent household? What stories do you tell your children, both negative and positive? I mean, my children love to laugh at me, uh, at my expense. So I've, I've sort of figured that out a little while ago. So I just tell them the humiliating lessons from my life, which I think might teach them something. Like the one... No, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> do you have any house rules? You know, because house rules tend to be the things that get repeated often, often, often. So we had our kitchen repainted last year, and we realized it was... Oh, we could... We could write something on the wall, I've got a snow house rules, we call them, and we came up with seven. We just crystallized seven things. I'm not going to tell you what they are because the, the point is kind of, what, what would you repeat often in your house if you could write something on the wall of the kitchen? If you are a grandparent, if you're an uncle or an aunt, if you're a leader of children through some ministry or job of some sort, then could you pursue the next generation? Remember we said training is active, not passive. So where do you need to be bodily part of the life of that child or that young person? Do you need to be at their birthday parties? Do you need to be on the holidays, or on the beach trips? Do you need to be in the garden kicking a ball with them? Do you need to spend lots of time sitting on car journeys just with them in the car so that you can be part of their training? Could you give to them? I mean, everybody loves gifts, don't they? My children absolutely love gifts. So could you give them a gift? My Sarah is very good. You know, whenever one of our godchildren or a niece or a nephew has a birthday, she'll send them something that they're absolutely going to love, for sure. Sweets, often, or a toy. But also something to do with the Lord. You know, she'll send them a book, a resource, a devotional, something that can help them in their training. She also does that at Easter time, so you get two opportunities a year in our house. Or if you're part of the older generation... Are there other people in this church who you could mentor? I don't know how things run here, but you could have a little look around today before you leave. You know, are there people in a younger generation? A Timothy who you could train? A Phoebe who you could help form? I mean, you might get the joy, the great joy of seeing them do great things for God before you go and be with Christ. So, my friends, I, my time is gone, but... Can I leave you with a, with a triangle imprinted on your retina today? If you could do this, then you can multiply the ministry. The generations can relate to one another. I believe that God would do uh, huge things. I read of a, a church planter in India who realized if, if he could reach 24 people regularly, then they in turn could go on to reach 10 people. Then, apparently the maths would go on, that he could reach 36,000 people. You know, if that cascading effect kept going, if he could keep multiplying some sort of training, generational reach. And so too, if, if you could reach five people in your lifetime, in the younger generation, in your lifetime, I, I think that's achievable. Some of them will be your biological family, some outside. Then you'll reach 25 people easily. Then 125 people, and so on and so on. It seems to me like a wonderful way to spend your life. Let's pray together.
Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here. Thank you for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray for our intergenerational relations, Father, where all of us are older than others and also younger than others. Would you please make it so that we can honor those who have come before us and train those who will come after us. We pray it, Father, for the flourishing of your people, of your church, of the city, and of the world. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.